0: Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host.
1: Where did you find out at the waste station? My cruiser weighs 16,000 kilograms. <laughs> <clears throat> I just got off the phone with Tom Mercado from the budget committee. This thing
0: with Farber screwed up, pooch. What? They can't lump us in with that f-ing Martian? We're all on the same boat, fellas. But our shenanigans are cheeky and fun. Yeah, I mean, his shenanigans are cruel and tragic.
1: Which makes them not shenanigans at all,
0: really shenanigans
1: i swear to god i'll pistol whip the next guy that says shenanigans
2: <clears throat> hey farva what's the name of that restaurant you like with all the goo on the walls and the mozzarella sticks you mean shenanigans oh. oh. you gotta shenanigans right put those away
1: michael preston <laughs>
2: Oh, life is so, so very good right now. And do you know why? That is because the Kook Center Hour has returned after a luxurious uh, bye week off. We, I, I, I said this two weeks ago. I feel like fans should also enjoy the bye week along with the football team. You should also take... The week off from your worries of Cougar football. And do what I did, which is just sit your big fat butt down on the couch upstairs in your TV room. And watch a crap load of college football. I made a pretty good sandwich. I mean, I made a really good sandwich too. Like a turkey bacon and a little Swiss cheese on that bad boy with some sourdough bread. Pretty basic. Pretty basic sandwich. But I, I, I like the basic sandwiches. Too much fluff on your sandwiches and you're getting lost in the essence of it, the meat and the cheese, that's that's the important part I'm off the rails again, see what I'm doing here, you can't let me get too off the rails Yogi Roth of the Pac-12 Network is going to stop by a friend of the show, Yogi Roth, talk a little bit about uh, WSU and Oregon also talk a little bit about Luke Falk, uh, what he's been doing this year. We're also going to visit with uh, head volleyball coach Jen Greeny again as her volleyball team ranked number 17 in the country this week as they head into another big weekend against Stanford and Cal in Pullman. And I'll emphasize again, as I will in the interview, y'all get free tickets for at least one volleyball game in your season ticket pack. Use them. Use them. They are home every, literally every weekend. They are home. Lines up directly with a football game. I I, I checked it. Literally every weekend. We will get to those two in a bit. Uh, but first, I want to talk about something else. Something we uh, uh, learned earlier this week, uh, and that is that no charges are going to be filed against Shalom Luwani uh, for what apparently went on inside that Domino's in Pullman. The prosecutor. On uh, Monday, declined to file any charges against him, saying that uh, he basically can't prove that Shalom wasn't acting in self-defense. He can, he thinks he can prove that the punch, the when Shalom punched the guy in the nose, he thinks he can prove that it was assault, but he can't. He can't. Or I, I'm saying it weirdly. He can prove that Shalom broke the guy's nose. What he can't prove is that it wasn't in self defense. And not only that, what we saw on Tuesday, Pullman Police uh, released surveillance footage from inside the dominoes that night. And uh, it looks an awful lot like Shalom is being shoved around. And you do clearly see him open palm the guy right in the chin. And his head either moves back and hits the door frame or the. The brick portion of the wall of the of the uh, building, but it, it it just it seems kind of weird to me that in the days following the incident, Poland police said Luani and the other guy went outside when in fact five guys, including the victim, followed Luani outside, which meshes directly with what the prosecutor said. It meshes directly with what Dennis Tracy said. The reports and videos show that there was pushing and pulling back and forth inside the pizza place with the physical contact between Mr. Medina and Mr. Luani being started by Mr. Medina. That is true. It concluded with Mr. Luani pushing Mr. Medina in the face while Medina, Mr. Medina pulls his head back and while Mr. Luani is walking away. I would categorize it more as a slap or a punch. I wouldn't call it a push to be fair to the investigators in this case. I would—that I, That is my personal opinion. I would not call it a push. There is no video for what happened outside, but according to witness statements, Mr. Medina came after Mr. Luwani in order to retaliate for being pushed. There were at least four young men, including Mr. Medina, that were confronting Mr. Luwani, and more than one of them were being aggressive, in their words. In the ensuing altercation, Mr. Medina was hit once and got a broken nose. Mr. Luwani may have hit other men that were confronting him. Mr. Luwani was hit multiple times, and according to witnesses, was pushed to the ground and possibly had his head pushed into a parked car. He suffered multiple injuries to his face and head and his shirt ripped and, according to medical reports, suffered a concussion. Given all that, in my opinion, no reasonable jury could conclude beyond a reasonable doubt that the punch to Mr. Medina's nose was not in self-defense. What what else am I supposed to take from, from this entire situation other than, given what evidence was forwarded to Dennis Tracy, the Whitman County Prosecutor from Pullman Police... Given what Shalom Luwani said on Facebook or Instagram, I can't remember what it was, that there are two sides to every story. And given what Mike Leach said a couple of weeks ago, where he is basically saying that, that Washington State football players are being targeted. Washington State football players are being targeted. The first ever administrator, is somebody in any capacity with the school to ever say something like that. How am I not supposed to look at all of this and say Mike Leach is at least partially correct. And at, at, at a press conference a week and a half ago, the police chief admitted there was some evidence to corroborate Luani's claim that he was jumped, but they can't identify anyone. I I I do not profess to be an expert. On police investigations, I don't profess to know all the details of, of the investigation and how it was handled and how it went on. But given everything we now know, seeing the surveillance video, hearing from the Whitman County prosecutor, and the police chief acknowledging when they were talking about Robert Barber and T.J. Faco's arrest a couple of weeks ago, that there was some evidence to corroborate Luani's claim that he was jumped. What? How, how do you look at... How was he the only person who got arrested? Or arrested at all? I'm... I'm... I'm I... I... <laughs> I am at a loss... For the first time in my life, me, Michael Preston, a man who talks more than any other human being on the planet because he likes the sound of his own friggin' voice, I am at a loss for words. I am at a complete, total, and utter loss for words. I I just how do you look at all that evidence that we had presented to us and say Shalom Luwani was the only person that should have been arrested how do you look at all of that and now, now listen to what Mike Leach said a couple of weeks ago if the other guilty parties are not accused or charged, there needs to be an extensive investigation as to why. How in the world can only football parties be guilty in events depicted like this? It is irresponsible to this town, this community, and everybody to have some kind of a double standard where we only focus on one demographic, one group of people, and then drag their name through the newspaper with a bunch of irresponsible comments. Because that's, ex- and that's the end of the quote, but that's exactly what it looks like now. That is exactly what it looks like. And I will give the police chief some credit here. He has said they are reviewing their policies for releasing information to the media because it sure looked like ne- it looks like now that is exactly what happened. That Shalom Luwani got his name drugged through the ringer, and we we all know that accusations are printed on A one and retractions are printed on C ten. It 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 just there, there, this is not a retraction, obviously. But no charges are being filed. And in fact, did Luani hit the guy in the face inside the pizza shop? Yeah, we know that. But it doesn't look like it was done without provocation. And it, it, it just... Now it leads me into question of what does what Robert Barber and T.J. Faco's case look like? Jenkins, again, a couple of weeks ago, acknowledged that Coach Leach was accurate when he said multiple assaults were going on at the same time. And they have also acknowledged that there are mitigating factors in that case, like alcohol consumption. I'm not going to get into guilt or innocence on that one. uh, Regardless of, of, of who did what or what charges get filed, some poor kid had his jaw broken. That's awful. That's terrible. But when charges of second-degree assault are filed against a football player, a felony charge of assault, for something that looks like it barely even rose to the level of misdemeanor assault. What am I supposed to think? How am I supposed to have confidence in this? And how am I supposed to look at this in any other way other than Mike Leach was at least partially correct? And that Bill Moose kind of gutless a couple weeks ago how am I supposed to look at that any other way I mean I'm honestly really I I, I have no earthly idea I, I really really don't I think the more shocking thing to me was a couple of weeks ago I can't remember the specific article the spokesman put together but they used more of that data from arrestnation.com which again not a great site to use But of like something like the 37 incidents of Pullman football players and or WC football players in the last five or so years, I, I could have sworn, and again, this is me not remembering completely correctly, but more than half of the incidents ended with charges were not filed. That that's not a great rate, guys. When you are arresting people at a at a at a clip like that and not filing charges half the time. There's something wrong with that. And we've had all, we've all, all of us have had anecdotal evidence in the past of wrongdoing on Pullman police's part or whatever. Or of, of mistreatment in our view by that. But now it really seems like we're seeing, like, th- th- that that's bad. This is a bad look for Pullman police. This is a really bad look. Because not only did the prosecutor decline to file charges, he pretty much contradicted a lot of what you said immediately following the incident. And if I were them from now on, and the media asks you for a statement, we're currently investigating it. We're not going to release any details about our investigation. We will let you know when it has concluded. Don't say anything. Because it, it is just not going to help you at all from now on. I'm just glad Shalom Luani will get to play against Oregon. We are going to talk about Oregon and Washington State coming up next. We're actually going to talk about some football now. We're actually I'm, I'm done on a 12-minute rant about, well, like one minute of it was about sandwiches. But I'm done on a 12-minute rant about this. We're actually going to talk about some football now. That, that Idaho game didn't really, they, they beat the crap out of them. Who cares? We're going to talk to Yogi Roth about some actual honest-to-God football. Uh, One of the best guys to talk about some actual honest-to-God football with. Hard to find anyone better. Uh, He's coming up next here on the Coop Center. Next on the podcast is Jen Greeny. We're gonna talk about WSU's really hot start to the volleyball season. But right now we're gonna focus on football a little bit after taking a week off. This is this is kind of like, you know, you take you take a week off of the show and we're just gonna go straight to the flame and yon. We're gonna go straight to Yogi Roth from the Pac-Twelve Networks. I mean, that is, is is that a little too much pressure though? Like the Flame Mignon are, are you good? Are you good with being called the Flame Mignon of the podcast?
1: You know, I've never, never been called that before. As a uh, you know pseudo vegetarian, meaning okay. I eat fish every once in a while, um, I don't think I'd claim that one. You know, but uh, I'll take it, man.
2: It sounds like it's a, it's a good thing. What's so really I'm good vegetarian? I'm, I'm not much of a vegetarian. What would be? Is there like an equivalent in that, or is, or is, uh, is there not really anything that's like the same as filet mignon? Uh, well,
1: look, hey, I'm a big fan of tofu. Oh, you know, right. so people right. want to hate on it. You know, but I've had people tear apart my tofu before, and then they come over and try it, and they're like, wow, it's actually pretty darn good. Actually, so, I would not know. You coming
2: down to L.A., I'll cook it up for you. Oh, see, now, and everybody has an open invitation to go to Yogi's house and try his tofu, so I'm, and now, now you see what you've done, I'm, there's going to be hundreds of people there. Uh, Yogi Roth joining you know us. It, <laughs> if Wazoo goes to the Rose Bowl, I will make tofu for everyone that comes down. From well, the now I really need community. them to go I'll to the Rose that. Bowl. <laughs> now I need Yogi Roth in a apron at the Rose Bowl. Cooking tofu. Now I now I just really badly need this to happen. So badly in my (laughs) life. I I got off the rails at the beginning of this podcast. We're off the rails already. Let's talk a little bit uh about WSU Yogi. Um one and two through their first two games. I know you're a film junkie, you you love watching film of these guys. Uh one and two through their first two games, one game flip a difference from last year, where they didn't get the late win in their big non-conference game like they did last year it just kind of feels like to me though it maybe you know it's kind of a weird thing to say it just kind of feels different this year is is does this team look any different than they did at this point last year or is it roughly the same that we saw uh through th- through a quarter of the season for wsu
1: that's a great question um i'd have to go back and, and evaluate the first three games to to really break it down but you know just in preparation for this i went back and basically after every game i, I make a cut up of highlights, lowlights, plays that I thought were game-changing, you know, self-destructive or unforced errors, whatever it is, just so I kind of have a point of reference. And the, the one thing that I do know that when I look at this team, and I, and I think that everyone on the staff would agree, um, they've been extremely inconsistent, you know, mm-hmm. in, the, in the things that, that that are really traditionally easy for this team. You know, usually what, you know, Wazoo's done in the past is they've make, at least in the passing game, they made the hard look really easy. And the easy is really easy in this offense, right? It's a simple box. Mm-hmm. Now I'll read and they're going to throw it to green grass and, and away they go. Um, they, they struggled um, in the simple things through three games. You know, even I went back this morning and, and I woke up early and, and watched the Boise game again and went back and watched, you know, the Idaho game again. And I don't know, man, they just never looked in sync. Now I can't tell you what it feels like. Cause I've been around the team, but what it looks like is that uh, I, they didn't look like the team that, number one, we expected or the team that performed last year when they were you know, thriving in the in the, you know, the middle to the latter parts of the season. And mm-hmm. I hope and uh, I'm really curious to see what they do after a bye week. You know, I always felt that bye week, and this is dating back to when I was coaching at SC, we always had a bye week week two for whatever reason we play. And then it's like you jump back into training camp. And I say that because I think it's important to note where their bye week is this year. And I think it's really good that it's in September. Uh, because this team needed a reset,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and clearly they got it. Yeah. So now who are they? You know, and, and some things you can't fix. You know, I, I don't think you can fix necessarily bad tackling. You know, and I'm not saying they're a poor tackling team, but that's an example of like SC a couple of years ago when Lane Kiffin didn't have them tackle at all in training camp because their numbers were so low scholarship wise. They were a bad tackling team. You know, Oregon last year didn't tackle a lot in camp. They were a bad tackling team. So I think that. The glaring stuff sometimes you can't fix, mm-hmm. you know, because it's just become habit. And I don't see those yet because they have Luke Falk, they have receivers, and they uncharacteristically are dropping passes and doing things they don't do specifically on offense. Um, so they've got the system to turn things around. And mm-hmm. It's kind of a, a really good recipe in terms of Oregon's, you know, defense. That they'll have the opportunity this week to go up against an aggressive team where big plays can happen.
2: I want to talk a little bit more about Luke Falkyogi because uh, you, you know, just looking at numbers wise through three games, he looks pretty much exactly the same uh, as he did last year. Yards per attempt are about the same. His completion percentage is a little higher. He's on a couple more picks, but his touchdowns are up there too. But I, I guess to me, he just uh, he he looks exactly like the same guy we saw early in the year last year. Not making good decisions, not making quick decisions, and what he's doing this year, I think, is he's taking the the easy pass he's taking the easy passes he's not going downfield like he needs to is that what you're seeing out of him too and is this something that is just maybe a confidence thing where he needs to get more confident and just throw the ball downfield every once in a while
1: you know I I don't want to say if it's a confidence thing or not you know Mm
2: -hmm.
1: because I I think that's like thrown around all the time without
0: talking to him I I doubt he lacks confidence right based on the system that he's in and the
1: staff he's around, but I wouldn't expect that to be. There were times this year where I thought, um, you know, it, I'll just give you an example of a run play uh, or a run pass option for them, which is different than a run pass options for other teams, but he basically gets to make the call a lot of times, right? So what's mm-hmm. the box like? Is it a six versus five advantage or is there a number advantage on defense? And I was surprised. He's was handed it off a couple times, you know, where it was single
2: coverage on the outside. And I kept doing that with you know, I mean, they unfolded and I was like, wow, interesting
0: that he didn't throw it here,
1: you know. And mm-hmm. to me, I don't I don't think he, he lacks confidence in his game, but I don't think the players in a variety of receiver positions have played as well as they had in the past. You know, there's some uncharacteristic drops or depths and routes or just some, some little things there that a bye week can fix. You know, it's not mis- it's not just. A terrible tackling team, which I don't think you can fix, mm-hmm. or a team that is really undisciplined—I don't think those are elements that really can be fixed. Those sometimes are systemic, that just you know are culturally elements of the program, at least for a, a season, I think. But the things that I've seen through the first three games are extremely fixable, yes. um, and I'm excited to—you know—I'm uh, excited to find out what they do in this game.
2: Mm-hmm this is this is kind of a, a gauntlet they have to run uh here these three games and I you know I we, we said before the season the pac 12 north pretty much gets decided in the first three weeks of the season because Stanford plays u dub WSU plays Oregon then WSU turns right around and plays Stanford again and Oregon plays u dub uh in a week so I mean we are gonna we may know good and well how this all shakes out here this is a it's a pretty tough gauntlet for them to run with Oregon. Stanford and UCLA, is and I mean, just based off your observations, the, these three games are going to be incredibly tough to, to pull out what they probably need, which is two wins, just to to even have a hope and a prayer uh, in the North Division race. Yeah, well, this this week is is
1: the most critical in my eyes, and not because it's the next, but because they're playing a team in Oregon. I've called two of their four games this year on the Pac-12 network, so I think I have a pretty good handle on them. And if, where Oregon can, can can crush you is an explosive place. That mm. That's really, in my eyes, what what they kind of lean on. Like Dakota, Cop, their quarterback's got great numbers this year, impressive numbers. But their passing game isn't going to scare anybody. You know, they're not doing anything really uh, e- extremely impressive, I don't think. You know, it's not like they're just taking shots down the field and there's wide-up and wide-outs. I mean, when they beat you, it's because you've overran something, you've been too aggressive, and all of a sudden, whether it's Royce Freeman went healthy or – Uh, Ben or Tony Brooks James, or Griffin, like, those guys are literally game changers, and then it becomes what we've seen at Oregon in the past, you know, Mm -hmm. and so that's why to me this is a really critical one, because one, Oregon's coming off, you know, no defense to Colorado, probably the most embarrassing loss they've had in a long time. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm trying to rack my brain quickly, but I don't think it was last year the loss to Wazoo wasn't an embarrassing loss. You know, they didn't have their best player, right, in in their quarterback for a lot of that, right? So, uh, to me, it's it's who is Oregon and how are they going to respond? And I'm sure they've been challenged, right? They did all the players only meeting stuff that always happens in these games. Blah 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 blah. Uh, so they're going to come out swinging, you know. And defensively, when Brady Hope got you know got after him last week against Colorado, they would come out and put together a couple really impressive drives. Mm-hmm. Um, and their one weakness is their defensive front is just okay, you know. Uh, de- or one of their weaknesses on defense, you know, they got ran over by Colorado a lot of that ball game. Mm-hmm. And that's not necessarily a strength of Washington State. So, you know, things line up really well for Oregon in this ballgame um, to be their most successful in their last – at least their last three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, you look at Nebraska and the CU. So I think we're going to find out about Washington State. You know, what's their resiliency like? You know, you get called up by your head coach. I've been on teams where we started one and five and turned around and went to a bowl game. And we yeah. got called out just like Mike Leach did to his team. And you do one of two things, right? You either rally – And you do one of three things. You either rally, you know, 105 guys plus all, you know, however many coaches you have. You either rally and say, screw the staff, or you fall apart, and everybody's about themselves. Mm -hmm. Those are the three things that really happen. So, I'm really interested to watch players when they get called out. And Idaho was a great example because, bro, you watched the game. They didn't start off well. No, You know, that game, that first half, it's not like it's indicative of the score. Like, I was watching and saying, whoa, what is happening right here? They they never got into a flow. They never found a rhythm. So, you get a week off. You get two weeks to prepare. I, I'm looking forward to watching it, man. I think it's I think it's one of the better games, uh, at least from like a deep dive that that, that are in the pack twelve this weekend.
2: You talked a little bit about uh, that that flow in against the Idaho game, and I, I felt the same thing watching it in the stands. Is that they just never really got into rhythm uh, offensively. It just based on your observations of the air raid with you know Mike Leach over the past few years. Has it been an issue just in terms of quarterbacks and receivers and for that matter, the whole offense, just their ability to kind of, they need a couple of games to kind of get into it. Is that kind of the case or or is this just something irregular that's going on? Like you said earlier, the receivers haven't been playing maybe to their potential, but is this a normal thing where it takes a few games to get into that flow or is this kind of an irregular thing uh, that WSU is going through right now? No, I, wouldn't think it would, I, I would not
1: think that it's normal to take time to get going in a passing offense. I mean, mm-hmm. the other way, you know, run game takes time to mesh against real guys in real games because the targeting, you know, the quick steps in the run game, pass protection intricacies, all things that really are not a huge part of Washington State's offensive attack, those are the things that take time. Pass the game is what you do all summer long.
2: Mm-hmm. You
1: know, timing, drops, leverage, uh, you know, make sure you get the proper depth. That's what you do all summer because you don't need pads to do it. So, no, dude, I mean, that that shouldn't take any time at all. And I get yeah. it has when, you know, you look at historicals with this program. But, you know, this is, it's it's advantage passing team, in my mm-hmm. opinion, early in the season because now all of a sudden we're fresher, we're healthier, we're explosive. And this team has weapons, you know. And I'm not trying to be harsh. I just don't think that you can let Wazoo off the hook for how – you know, how inconsistent they've played based on what they brought back and and what they did a year ago. Right. You know, and and, 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 I, and Mike Leach clearly agrees, or mm-hmm. he wouldn't have called out his players the way that he did. And, uh, you know, there's an element of growing, I think, as a program, when you're a team that hoped to win and weren't sure what was going to happen with your program a year ago to this year, an expectation to win, and how do you handle it? How do you prepare for that? And I don't think kids let their foot off the gas. Um, I, I don't really have the answer of what the issues are because I'm not there every day, but yeah. clearly, uh, you know, he, he's made elements he references to elements of that nature mm-hmm.
2: of guys not, you know, bringing their lunch bill to work or whatever it's been. You look at this game, Yogi, and like you said, you you you've been in front of Oregon for a, a number of games this year, calling the games for the Pac-12 Network. You you watched film on WSU. How how do you see what does WSU need to do on Saturday to to win this football game? I think you know you noted Oregon's defensive line, probably the weakness of their defense. Uh, WSU's offense obviously needs to get more consistent. What does WSU need to do in this game, uh, knowing that Royce Freeman's probably back uh, as well? What do they need to do to win this football game on Saturday?
1: I think it's pretty easy. You know, defensively, they just have to limit explosive plays. They mm-hmm. did, they've, they've historically at least. Under Alex Grinch, been good there, you know. Um, and it's tough against Oregon because they just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Um, but to, to stop that, I think you have to have success on the interior defensive front. You know, you really do. I think you have to disrupt the timing of the initial mesh in the run game.
2: Mm-hmm. There's
1: so much zone read. I think you have to just slow it down, move the quarterback off his target. You know, change the read up, blow it up every once in a while, and force them to beat you. Not with the first read in a progression, but forced to go to up and this team to get the second, third progression. So, the way you do that is you do a Wazoo does in terms of disguising coverages. So, I think defensively, those are the, those are the big elements. On offense, um, they're going to have opportunities to win a lot of one on one battles, and they just have to. You know, against the four man front, which is what they're going to see, you know where guys are going. You know, when, when Oregon is twisted and stunted with these guys up front and the defensive linemen and ends, They've gotten burned there a little bit, at least last week. Mm-hmm. Um, so if they're just rushing up the field, you just got to win your, your matchup. And, you know, we, I talked about their defensive front. I think it's important to note Oregon is playing a scheme that they didn't recruit to. I mean, the edges aren't as heavy as Brady probably would want. You mm-hmm. know, he wants a 4-3 scheme, which means you got to have a baller at the 3 technique and the defensive front. And your ends need to be real Deal big time ends versus outside backer ends, which is what they kind of recruited the last couple of years. Um, so that's where I think I referenced the front, and then the back end. You know, they played pretty much nickel the majority of the game against Colorado. Malik Love it with their nickel. Um, they moved their secondary around pretty much every game this year that had a different starting lineup. Uh, so my point is that they're not world beaters in the back end. So mm-hmm. you know where you're going with the football. You've got to play on time. You've got to have eye discipline at the quarterback position, and it's all an opportunity to make plays. You know, you're going up against true freshman safety. You know, uh, for Oregon, you know, you're going up against two corners who are good and long and athletic, and Springs and Tyree Robinson. But they're going to have the to ability to make plays, and to me, that that's Lazu's game. They don't beat anybody unless they do that. You know, it's. It's the easy completion, and then it's making the difficult things in the passing attack look easy, which is what they've done and what they should be doing with
2: mm-hmm. a guy
1: as gifted as Luke. I mean, look, they still have one of the top quarterbacks in the country and one of the top wide cores in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a scheme that gives people a lot of problems. So, you know, on paper, they should do well. Just on film, they haven't found, at least in my eyes, any real rhythm or tempo offensively, and hopefully the bye week for Wazoo fans can cure that.
2: I really want to get to the Rose Bowl now because Yogi Roth is going to make me dinner, and uh, and that 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 is I I want that more than anything in the world now, and uh, I we I deserve to make him dinner for his expertise on this show, but I I will take dinner cooked by you, sir. I appreciate it very much.
1: Yeah, anytime we'll do a podcast about it. Man. We'll
2: get you on my podcast. We'll talk about it. We'll, we'll compare tofu and steak. Oh, I like. See now, this is a good idea. Then I see now you're now you're thinking. You're using that noggin, and I like that. You're thinking about that. Thank you very much for your time, sir. I appreciate it so much. Uh, anytime, brother. Thanks for having me on. Jen Greeny, volleyball coach, coming up next here on the Cook Center Hour. the coog center hour as we roll on with uh, oregon football game we were going to go to volleyball now though because i, I we we talked to coach jen Greeny before the season she was very high up on what her team can do this year and oh boy uh, was she correct now the coach of the number 17 team number 17 team i can spit it out in the country Jen Greeny does that sound how good does that sound i'm the i'm the head coach of the number 17 ranked team in the country
0: yeah and that sounds pretty good Yeah, uh, I, I would like to continue that <laughs>
2: <laughs> now i know a lot I, lo- I know a lot of coaches will say you know I, you know we don't pay attention to the rankings we don't we don't look at that kind of thing and you know we we try to keep it out of our heads as much as possible and i think there's an element of truth to that but it had to be really nice today at around noon to see the ABCA coaches poll and to see Washington State at number 17, didn't it?
0: Yeah, you know, and it's um, it's just great, you know, for these players and this program in general. Um, you know, we got to see Shannon and I, uh, assistant coach Shannon Hunt and I, got to see that a lot as players. You know, we were um, in the top 25 a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'm just really happy for these players that, they get to experience that but you know you're right that's not um you know the only ranking that really matters is the one at the very very end of the season Mm -hmm. and so you know we still have a lot of work to do and um, have another top 10 team um you know coming up so it definitely hasn't been easy but um, just some great things happened this
2: week for this program. I mean, this this is this is kind of the culmination of a lot of years of work of trying to bring this program back to what it was when you were playing, like you said, you know, constant rankings, trips to the NCAA tournament, getting this program out of issues with the APR, and now we're to a point where the APR scores have been excellent, the play had lagged behind a little bit, and now everything just kind of seems to be clicking. It It, it must feel really good to kind of have – all of that come to fruition and together now finally uh, you, you know four years at least into this process
0: yeah you know um, we've definitely been through some tough times and um, you know took over a program that when we got here um, in the spring of 2011 uh, the team literally had six people on it mm-hmm. um, a 1.96 grade point average um, it was just not in a good place and so, Um, You know, trying to rebuild that and recruit, Um, you know, they had gone 0-18 that past season, so trying to recruit um, with that has been tough, but, you know, we've done it, and these uh, players that have stuck with us, um, it's just a really
2: good feeling. I want to talk, uh, we'll talk about both uh, games you guys, or matches you guys won last week. I want to start, though, uh, with that game against Washington, because you know it's significant for a lot of fans at WSU for the obvious reason of it being the rival. But I think you know going into Heck Ed is a very tough place to go into in the first place, especially against the number four team in the country. And you guys, you guys lost the first set twenty five sixteen, but came straight back and won three in a row. What was the discussion like after that first set loss? going back to your to your players and saying you know look you are not out of this by any means and we know you can win this what was that discussion like
0: yeah you know it was uh, we just needed to settle down a little bit you know our passing um was not good in that first set and um, you know it is a tough place to go into and it's you know not only a rivalry match but you know they were the number four team in the country they've been so successful there Um, you know it it was kind of just that hey we just need to relax and pass and and do what we do well and and we definitely did that in the second set and then I think they gained a little confidence you know after Mm -hmm. that and we were able to win the next two so um, you know they just really played with um, you know a lot of poise especially those last three sets and um, some determination and aggressiveness and um, it was just
2: great to see. You go down to Westwood after that, a place that's been an even bigger bugaboo uh, to win uh, for WSU. In fact, the last time it had happened, uh, you were playing there. Uh, so, But I, I think that, that win was very different because last year you guys had a number of five-set losses. And you go ahead, two sets to none. UCLA comes back and wins the next two how how important was it for you guys to kind of get over that you, you know last year you you struggled a lot with some five set losses so how important was it just from a mindset standpoint to to finally get a five set win with i might add four match points which made me stressed out enough just watching the stat cast
0: <laughs> yeah tell me
2: about it yeah i know i know for you it must have been worse but i i was i was sweating some bullets back here uh, well we, w- we wanted to keep you on your toes oh but, well thanks uh, i guess um, but, yeah seriously though it
0: that five uh, you know set win is huge. I think um, again, just um, to give this team confidence, and especially those returners and seniors. You know, Kyra Holt and mm-hmm. Haley Batum, Haley McDonald, Tony Stevens, that have been here through those five set losses, and you know, kind of when it has come down to crunch time, um, you know, we just haven't been, or last year, you know, and, and in years past, you know, weren't quite able to finish it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a, a big. Um, step in the right direction just mentally for, you know, those players especially that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we got it done against, you know, a very tough UCLA team in a very um, tough place to play as well. So, again, just really happy for these players. And, um, yeah, it was quite a week.
2: Kyra Holt, uh, like you mentioned, I mean, she's just kind of rewriting the record book uh, at WSU. She's fifth in the conference in kills per set. Uh, about three and a, three and three quarters per set, but I, what I'm really amazed at is what you guys are doing defensively. Your opponent hitting percentage is 10 percentage points below UCLA for best in the conference. Uh, you, you guys are really getting it done. You average the second most blocks per set in the conference. Is that kind of the mindset here that we're we're going to play really good defense and you're going to have to earn these points uh, that you get from us?
0: Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that because we were such um, a great blocking team last year mm-hmm. and not a very good offensive team. And so, you know, we spent um, all, all of the offseason pretty much working on our offense. Mm-hmm. And, you know, of course you still work on, you know, blocking and defense and all those kind of things, but that really was not our focus. <laughs> okay. um, so, you know, it has just continued just because of, I think, how good they were last year, and it's mm-hmm. the same – you know it's a pretty much the same group but just with more experience mm-hmm. and you know so i'm not saying we don't work on that at all but we have really tried to work on our offense mm-hmm. and get that going um a little bit more but you're right our, our blocking and defense um has come up huge and you know i think uh, both washington and ucla probably hadn't seen blocks in their preseason you know mm-hmm. like we put up um so i think that's you know Definitely
2: something that really helped us get those wins. I don't want to take away from the offense side. You guys are doing much better than last year in the hitting percentage wise, kills wise, also right in the middle of the conference. So that's a really good mix to have with that defense. Um, we've mentioned before, though, coach. Uh, this is the Pac-12. This is not, you know this this isn't an easy conference to play through. And you you guys get ranked on Monday, and then oh by the way, on Friday you get to play Stanford. <coughs> Lucky you. This the, how how do you how do you kind of keep you know the intensity of because you guys have played 50 sets of volleyball already. How how do you kind of keep everybody mentally fresh, physically fresh, to get through this gauntlet uh, of a schedule you have to run?
0: Yeah, well, you know, these last two weeks have been just brutal on our players. We went down to Baylor, you know, left on a mm-hmm. Wednesday don't get back till Sunday. We have a quick turnaround. Have to leave again Tuesday to go to Washington. So uh, these poor student athletes um, have not been to a Friday class since (laughs) season started uh, or since school started. And Uh so this will be their first Friday class this week. Um, You know, so we got home Saturday. They got yesterday off. We actually didn't practice today. They're just lifting and conditioning and, and we'll get back. And And watch film and get back into practice tomorrow and and go through Thursday. But um, yeah, it's a grind. And I think um, just because we have so many returners, that they understand what it's like in this conference. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, another top ten team. Just I guess just bring them on. I don't know. (laughs) Um, You know, Friday with Stanford. But um, you know, we have eight ranked teams um, this. You know, that came out this week. Eight Mm -hmm. ranked teams in the Pac-12 and. Um, yeah, it's just, there's never, ever an easy night. And I think we understand that, and we just got to continue to go one match
2: at a time. I, I always liked Friday classes off. It might be different for them not traveling <laughs> as much as they do. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm admiring, again, Kyra Holt uh, so much, just her talent. And you mentioned the senior leadership on this team. What does Kyra, uh, you know, do for you in these big games? Because, I uh, you know, just looking at her last five games, or uh, matches. I mean, 19 kills at Baylor, 21 kills at Washington, 18 uh, against UCLA. Having someone like that to depend on it—it ha- it has to put you uh, and your coaching staff just so at ease uh, when it comes to to planning uh, on a on a weekly basis.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, Kyra is a fantastic player, and we know um, that she's going to have some big nights like she has had and. Um, You know, her offensive numbers are right there. But I think some of the things that people don't realize what she does so well for this team is she is um, one of our best passers and best defensive players. Mm -hmm. And so those kind of things kind of get overlooked sometimes. But she, um, you know, she passed, like, against Washington. They served her almost every ball. So not only was she hitting like that and blocking and doing everything else, but she also – took the majority um, of the passes and passed really well mm-hmm. um, against Washington. So, um, you know, she's also been really good from the service line. So it's kind of that all-around game that mm-hmm. um, I think is really hard to find, um, you know, in a, in a player these days with all the specialization, you know, going on with positions. But, um, you know, she does it all and just uh, proud of how much she has grown um, over the years.
2: She had 17 digs against Baylor, 14 against Washington, just to hammer home your point even more. Uh, Coach Jen Garini joining us here on the Cook Center Podcast. We'll let her go with one final question. Coach, uh, Bowler Gym is the only volleyball-only facility in the Pac-12. Not exactly something you might expect to find uh, in Pullman, Washington, that they would be the ones who have the only, uh, the only volleyball facility, but we are lucky enough. I've seen big crowds in there and how electric it can get in there. This team is home literally every football weekend. How important is it for you guys to have a full gym to kind of help propel you uh, on a really tough Pac 12 schedule? Because I know the, the energy you draw off there has to be uh, really incredible.
0: Oh, man, it, it is so important to us. Um, and specifically because no one else plays in an arena like us, you know, so mm-hmm. it, it does really give us a home court advantage that they have to come in here. Um, you know, with the students, kind of right on top of them, loud crowd, the band. You know, we every other match we go play in is in their basketball arena, and so even if they do have three thousand people, five thousand people, it doesn't seem like it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I think um, you know people don't realize how important they are as far as you know getting us that home court advantage and you know rattling the opponent and and just being loud just because it is so different than anywhere
2: else no fire alarms this time for coach jen Green. her number 17 cougs are going to take on stanford this friday if you are in town already i highly highly recommend you go you got some free tickets with your season tickets and this should be a thing you go and do this friday at seven o'clock at bowler gym coach thank you very very much
0: Hey, thanks for
2: having me on. Go Kook! Be back more on the Kook Center right after this fight song. Thanks to Coach Jen Greeney and Yogi Roth for joining us on this week's Koog Center Hour. They always make our time on the show a little brighter. It is Dunderhead of the Week time, and I think I've complained about this on the show before, uh, but it's the same person doing it again. Uh, as you may know, if you live in or near Seattle, parking, especially street parking in an area where it is free and there are residential units, houses, apartments, townhouses, whatever, uh, Parking is at a premium. Parking is at a very premium. Now I live on a busier street, uh, but we we bought the place because it might we might be able to turn it into townhouses one day. Not to get too into my real estate dreams, but it is on a busier street. Right in front of my house, there is curb space for exactly two cars. I mean, and and, and the nice thing is is since like it's like the same cars parked out there all the time. Everybody's kind of just in agreement. That if both the spaces are open, you either pull up as far as possible, or you sit as back back as far as possible in that spot to allow two cars to park there. Right, like that. That's just a, and nobody really minds when you get really close up to a bumper to make sure you're fitting in those spaces. You know, we're all we all don't like know each other, but you can kind of sense the acknowledgement. There is one person who, when both spaces are open will park their Kia Sorento, and I know this because it's happened so many goddang times, with a little New Orleans Saints thing logo underneath their rear door handles. will park it right in the middle. Right in the middle of those spots. Taking up both of them. We live in a city with limited parking. And a park across the street where a lot of soccer gets played. And a lot of people park really badly too. And I hate that enough as it is. Park so I can fit the other car we have in there. Or so somebody else could park there. So just be courteous about it. I, I don't feel like this is too big of an ask. I'm getting unreasonably angry about this. Just... If you're going to park in the city, park optimally so the most cars can fit on the curb as possible. Do that. Please, God, do that. Please. Ask Michael anything. Ask Michael anything. Our closing segment. Every single week. I don't know why I'm talking like this, but it's not going to continue. At M. Hoagie Matt Oakland on Twitter, what was the bi-week Honeydew project? Uh, cleaning the basement up. Like, like our basement isn't finished, so you know, crap just kind of gets thrown down there. You know, not really organized. So I organized a little bit. Not, not terribly Matt, because there's going to be a lot more stuff that gets down there soon. Uh, When we get more stuff from family that I've been storing at their place for so long. Now that I have a gigantic basement. At Sean Coog 86, Sean. Better unrealistic fantastic sports video game. NFL Blitz or NBA Jam and why? I think it's NBA. NBA Jam just has... It's just iconic. You know, on fire. And I I remember playing it with the Sonics. I mean, I, I loved playing NFL Blitz. That was a lot of fun. But NBA Jam is just... It's just the iconic... It's the iconic one. I think especially because it was on SNES. That's why it gets that benefit. At S. Kramer right? Sean Kramer, how much bush light is too much bush light? Uh, about three bushels. At, I, am re- I am so ready to have kids in terms of dad joking. At Glenn Duggan. Glenn Duggan. I don't even know if I'm saying his last name right. Sorry, Glenn. Uh, say Oregon loses to everyone you UW over the next few weeks. Who's the best possible replacement for Helfrich? Uh, I, Oregon's just going to hire someone on staff again, aren't they? I mean, stupidly. Isn't that what they're just going to do again? They're just going to hire somebody on staff to take over that job. I think or- if, if, if they do fire Helfrich. Oregon might not be as desirable a job as I think that school thinks it might be. They've been trending down the last few years, and it's not exactly, you know, they, they got close to one national championship losing to Cam Newton's Auburn Tigers, but, you know, I, I mean, they, that's not as good of a job as I think a lot of people might think it is. I really don't know where they might look for a coach, and I think Oregon fans should be worried all they do is look internally again. That would be a very dangerous thing to do. Oh, prediction time. I will be at the game. We're driving in and out of town that day because I hate myself. Um Washington State forty-five, Oregon forty-one. Close again, this time in regulation though. Let's beat them ducks. Next week, more good stuff on the Kooks and Ours. We preview the Stanford Cardinal game. That'll be a biggie down in Palo Alto. Talk to you next week.